Hey, what amazing worship. Thanks, thanks team. Just a great sense of God in the room. And uh, Christmas, my goodness, December. Who's ready? I want to get to December and it's like, it's all over. So just enjoy it, you know. <laughs> I wish. And uh, we, are, we are having a fabulous, fabulous uh, just kind of church events. Church in the Lane is a whole lot of fun. It's not just morning tea, Rosemary. This, it's like party. It's kids' food. It's, I don't know what else, you know, jumping castles. But it's actually a chance for us to also thank all our volunteers. It's a volunteer thank you, uh, putting on something for all the amazing people who do so much uh, across our church. So uh, I'm going to end this message or I'll just wrap it on. Christmas. Now, now you, would, you would have seen up here a, a message title that would have said the pressure of performance. That's the message title, pressure of performance. But I want to start with a Christmas carol. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Actually, turn to the person next to you. What's, the, what's your favorite Christmas carol? All right, call out a few. What, what's your favorite carol? Silent Night. Jingle Bells. Well, yeah. <laughs> hark, yeah, Hark the Heralded. Oh, that's mine too. Because of the line in there that says the soul felt its worth. Justin Bieber. What is that? Justin Bieber does Christmas? There's some good ones out there. And you go into the shops and you hear them, then you, you think it's Christmas. Do you know my worst Christmas carol? You are spot on. Harry. Oh, I feel like I'm going to destroy a favorite. But it's actually my least favorite song. Do you know why? Because it's wrong. Not that Santa Claus isn't coming to town, but the theology behind it is really bad. Let me unpack that a little for the uh, little people in the room. Because <laughs> I'm in a whole lot of trouble right now. You better watch out. You better not cry. You'd better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> How you feeling? Harry, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. How are you feeling? How's your year been? How do you stack up? Naughty or nice? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Should be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. I mean, what sort of grace-filled song is this? <laughs> but he's coming. You see, we've got this idea of the grace-filled, beautiful songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Declaring the Glory of God. And then we've got this works-based theology of this great record keeper in the North Pole. 
who's watching out for us. And I tell you, if we're not right, we're not going to get anything. If you haven't been good, forget Christmas. That's the message of that song with respect to the author. It actually, though, while theologically challenged, is very accurate of the way we view our life. If you think about the way that so many of us view the world that we live in, you get what you deserve. Isn't that some of the, the paradigm, if I'm thinking right? You, you get what you, you, you receive, what you give. You work hard, you get, right? It's, it's, the, it's the narrative. It's like they're like train tracks in our culture. They're just heading in a certain way, and, and by default, you can't steer this thing. They're deeply ingrained in us so that we've got this sort of idea of a, I'm going to call it a meritocracy. You, you deserve, you get what you deserve. It's about karma more than Christmas, actually. And so many of us live with that pressure. Do I deserve presents at all? You know, if I, if I was the Santa Claus, you know, have I been naughty and nice? Well, well have, I, have, I, have I done it? Why would Santa visit my house? And then if we kind of transfer that idea onto God, which, which kind of happens, it's like, why would God even give me a present? Why would God care about me? I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't earned enough. I haven't been good. So therefore, why would God come and kind of look after me even? And so, so we live with this pressure of performance, of, of trying hard, and, and we kind of transfer that up to God. From the bedroom to the boardroom, we live with self-effort to try and make our life better. It's so deeply ingrained in our culture that our success or our failure is based on our abilities, hard work or merit. It's ingrained in the stories we tell, in the movies we watch, in the Christmas carols we sing. That what our success is directly proportional to the effort that we put in. Interesting movie, Will Smith uh, in The Pursuit of Happiness. Do you remember that movie? Uh, I think it's quite old then, I think 2006. Uh, and in that movie, it, it portrays a, a down and out single dad with a little boy and going from kind of refuge to refuge, house to house, as he's trying to sort of make it in life. You know, he's, he's not, he's poor. I mean, he's, this poor little kid's been dragged into different refuges. And, but you know, through his own effort and his own self-worth, he builds himself up and creates a fortune for himself. And, and, and it's the story of the American dream, isn't it? He makes it big because he's worked hard. And, and he gets the breaks and he studies, he's smart. He, you know, he gets the breakthrough. It's, it really is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which, which is foundational to, obviously, uh, the U.S. Declaration of Independence. But it's, it's that idea of, of are, are, we, are we trying enough? Are we pursuing enough? Well, that great poem, Invictus, Robin Williams' fame, great Dead Poets Society, Nelson Mandela apparently loved this too, this, this idea of um, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And don't we love that sort of rousing, you know, stand on this chair with, in that movie? I am the captain of my soul. Actually, no, you're not. But our world likes to think that we are. 
we're in control of our destiny, of our future. And as long as I'm trying hard enough, as long as I push hard, study enough, get the right friends, the right context, then I'm going to make it in life. Isn't that the worldview that we portray and we tell again and again and again? But is it true? And sometimes in, in Protestant church circles, we have the, the old Protestant work ethic, which means similar kind of theology, understanding. But when I pick up this book, I see a different worldview. I see a different narrative that it's actually not about what you deserve. There's something far more interesting far more exciting and actually really challenging. Come with me to Ephesians 2. You're going to need your own Bibles this morning or your phone or something like this. We're going to spend a chunk of time in Ephesians 2 because this is the, this is the kind of the grand concentration of this thought in Ephesians 2. But, but you see it all throughout the Scriptures. Ephesians 2, 4. The author's Paul. Paul, who was a hard worker, who was somebody who, who earned his own way and who tried to make it big, uh, and then he met God. <laughs> and then it all turned around. He says this, but God, but God, but for God, but, but God steps in because he's rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Rich is, is abounding Wealth. He has abounding wealth in mercy. Do you know what mercy means? It's, it's the kindness and goodwill towards the afflicted. Right? This is mercy. Kindness and goodwill towards the afflicted and a desire to help them. So it's one thing to have compassion, you know, kindness, and you, you see a situation and your heart goes out to them. It's another thing to actually want to go and do something about it. But mercy combines those two ideas of absolute blessing and wanting to help people. And, and this is saying that God is abounding in mercy. God himself, the creator of the universe, the, the one who set everything up, actually is abounding, overflowing with mercy. That's not karma. That's not you get what you deserve. That's not, you know, do this and then this happens. Actually, it's the opposite. If God has set up the universe this way, it is a radical implication for the way we live. He's rich in mercy, and because of his great love, which he loved us, and that word is, is sacrificial, because of his sacrificial death on the cross, even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we actually had no hope, I mean, what hope does a dead person have? I mean, think about it logically. But they actually can't do anything about their own state. Like, this is such an extreme picture. Even if you're dead, even if you have no ability to do it right or to get up, even then it says that God made us alive together with Christ. It's, it's, it's so rich. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even the, the sin that we, we kind of wound up in, which basically means that I'm going to do things my own way. That's what sin means. 
It means, watch me, God, I'm going to do it. You don't, <laughs> I've got a better idea. So that's how humanity lives its life, and you can see the outworkings. But even so, it doesn't matter. He made us alive together with Christ. It's important here. It's alive together with Christ. It's not just alive. He didn't just give us life. Your life is joined with His life. Right? So it says, you became alive, and it's a picture of Christ in the grave, in the tomb. God raised Him up and joined us with Him. And then it says, uh, by grace, you've been saved. And here's this first insertion of the word grace into this passage. Grace is the unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's blessing that's not deserved. It's undeserved kindness. Think about that word for a bit. When was the last time somebody did something to you that you didn't deserve in a good way? Someone go out of their way to do something. Someone just did something that was just a little blessing that you didn't deserve. See, it's so contrary to our thinking, isn't it? Oh, look, I'll do that for you if you do this for me. I'll, I'll do this, but I'd like you to do that. That's, that's how our world works. But that's not how God works. He says, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And that word saved is, a, is a, we are partakers of the salvation of Christ. We, we are part of his kingdom now and forever. We're joined with him. We've made alive together with Christ and verse 6 says, we were raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense, done deal. See it? Because of his mercy and his kindness, he's raised us out of the dead. He's put us life. And then he's, he says, your future is already fixed in me. It's sorted. It's a done deal. Now, now we're in that little passage does it say, uh, only if you are a good person? <laughs> only if you are now kind? Only if, but you have to be. But you know, where, where is the but? There's only a but God here. And he goes on. He says, so that. Why has he done this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why has he done it? Because he wants to show us more. He wants to give us more understanding, more blessing, more richness, more fullness of himself in the coming ages. He wants to show us immeasurable riches. What does that look like? Is that Solomon's temple? Like just, is that where's the richest kingdom on earth? Where, where, where would you go to see immeasurable riches? I mean, I've, I've been to Paris. I've been to the Palace of Versailles. Oh, my goodness. Anyone been there? like the Hall of Mirrors, it's, it's like, this is nuts. This thing is just, it's so extravagant, so excessive. And you walk in this palace. <laughs> no wonder they had a revolution. It's crazy. And, but that's the kind of thing that God wants to show us. He's, he's abounding blessing of just love and grace that you can't count. It's in kindness towards us. That's your future. 
Did you deserve it? <laughs> no. Does it matter? Absolutely not. She says, even if you're dead, like the worst thing you can be is dead. But even then, he's still going to show you grace and kindness. This is phenomenal. But it goes on. Verse 8 says, for by grace, he's blessing his unmerited favor. By grace, you've been saved through faith, just through believing. And uh, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's a pure gift. This salvation that Christ has given us is a gift. You can't pay it back. It'd be insulting to try. Imagine going to someone's house and they put on a lavish meal for you and, 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 and some wine and some beautiful meat, pita, <laughs> some slow-roasted lamb, the best wine and some dessert, I don't know, cherry pie, Joan. And then you walk out and you go, oh, thanks for the meal. Um, what do I owe you? I mean, what, what would they feel? You know, completely insulted. What, what, what can pay off? This is my blessing for you. I've given this to you. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of God. It's not our undoing. It's not a result of works. Like God hasn't come and given us his salvation because we tried hard. Or because we were anything special. Or because we were better than that person. Got to get that out of our thinking. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. And actually, he flicks it right around in verse 10 and says, Actually, we are, if you want to talk about works, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So actually, you are the workmanship. You don't try and work, you, you, you are the masterpiece. You're the workmanship, the poema. The, it's like if you make a beautiful clay cup. You know, and you, you worked at it and you make that and then, then you give it to somebody and it's, it's a work for good works. It's for drinking. You, know, you, you have a purpose. The, the way that God has made you is for a purpose so that you can show God's glory. Wow. That's, that's grace. That's, that's one of the best passages in the scriptures that unpack the idea of grace. The unmerited unwarranted favor of God in our life. It's absolutely amazing. And it's so different to the narrative of our world, which is very graceless. You think about our world. If you, if you say the wrong thing, you'd be cancelled. Right? If you, if you get too public about some opinion that somebody doesn't like, then be, you'll be trolled. You'll be, you'll be attacked. The world is lacking grace. The, the grace is the Christian distinctive. Our world needs a little grace right now. You think wars, you think, you think arguments, you think politics, you think uh, all kinds of situations which is, which is kind of, it wrestles, but it has no grace. It has no kindness. It has no blessing, no favor. The church, this is our domain, by the way. Let's make sure we get our narrative right. We don't fall into the trap of our world's merit system. I mean, aren't the greatest stories, the greatest movies, 
actually not works of earning, but of grace. Think of the great stories. I'm thinking of Les Miserables. It's a story of grace. There's a Christmas viewing for you. It's where ex-convict Jean Valjean, he's, he's changed through an encounter with grace. If you know the story, he meets, he's, a, he's a criminal. He's released. And he meets a priest. And he steals from this priest. And the priest says, it's okay, go. Like, go. And here's some more, by the way. It messes with this guy who's never been shown kindness. And it transforms him into a person of grace. It's, I tell you, it is one of the great stories. It's a story of grace. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. There's a story of grace. Scrooge. Do you know the story? Ebenezer Scrooge. Hates Christmas. Hates it. But he's transformed by grace because he sees who he's becoming. And, and the final scene of him actually blessing the family that is around him. To kill a mockingbird. A story of grace. Racial tension and prejudice. I mean, these are... This is just a snapshot. There are, there are some amazing, amazing movies and stories that portray grace. And when we watch them, something inside of us goes, that's, that's true. As much as we want to do it ourselves. It shouldn't surprise us that we're drawn to grace. Hey? I, mean, I mean, this book, apart from Ephesians 2, is filled with grace. Is packed with grace. Jesus comes and he messes with the religiously minded because he's got grace. I mean, he opens the account with a miracle of wine. He didn't have to do that. And not just any wine. I mean, the best wine. Like the religious people going, but you've got to earn it. He healed all these sinners. I mean, even the fact that people who were sinful or missed the mark or fallen off society, he would hang with them and draw them in. I mean, didn't they deserve being punished? He even advocated paying a full day's wage for people who just worked one hour at the end of the day. This very bad accounting, Jesus. <laughs> the father receives back his son, who's ruined the family, ruined the reputation, spent half of his stuff on prostitutes and cheap living, and comes back, there's grace. See, everywhere you turn in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, there's, there's grace. This forgiveness of denial when Peter denied Jesus. Grace stepped in and he said, I forgive you. And actually, this guy became a world leader of a church and just transformed thinking. Story and account after account. You see, that you see grace in the Old Testament. Don't let people say that the Old Testament is just law. And the New Testament is grace. It's, it's untrue. Old Testament is dripping with grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Right from the beginning, we see God as a God of kindness and compassion and justice. You see, you see grace and grace and grace, unmerited, unwarranted favor to his people. Old Testament, New Testament, because that's who God is. He's not trying to be something. Today I'm going to be graceful. <laughs> he is grace. He drips with grace. We don't get what we deserve. We actually get far better. His accounting is woefully inaccurate. But I'm thinking this Christmas, 
the greatest gift you can give to the people around you is actually grace. Our world needs it. Your families need it. You think of what you might be preparing for Christmas Day or the, or the lunches and the, the events and the family gatherings that you have around. Some cause tension, some are welcome. But just imagine you being the agent of grace in your family. What a gift. What a gift. See, grace frees us to care for others. Grace takes our eyes off ourselves and lets us see the other people. Grace gives us permission to be big-hearted, to have fun, to be generous and gracious and forgiving. And something's happened last year, but you know what? It's all right. Come around for lunch. He said that over there, but it's all right. We forgive you. Come and see this big-hearted grace. Grace means we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to put on the perfect smile at Christmas lunch. The family's awesome. It's great. Everything's good. Grace says, oh, I've had a rubbish year. Grace says, oh, this went wrong and that went wrong, but, but I'm still here. You see, see, grace means that we don't have to have the perfect life lined up. Who does? Grace gives us permission to be kind and gentle and generous and gracious not because people have earned it, not because they deserve it, but because they're people. Here's a thought that expectations are a barrier to grace. Expectations about what should happen or what people should do or this or that actually cause us to be ungracious. I think we should turn expectations into encouragement. Instead of expecting things from people, how about we encourage people? See, grace does that. John Newton, who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Former slave trader. A brutal man from all accounts. Possibly worse than what you would ever read. A man who oversaw countless lives, death and destruction, and, and in, the, in the, just the horror of the slave trade, back in the 18th century. He came to Christ, a broken man, realizing the enormity of what he'd done and overseen. It's an amazing story. But Amazing Grace is one of, is probably, I think, the most performed song in history. It's even every year, it's performed 10 million times. 10 million times. There are 13,000 versions of it recorded. John Newton knew what it was to have sins forgiven, his past erased, and to completely receive that unmerited gift. His last words apparently were, my memory is kneeling gone. But I remember these two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I might be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but I'm not what I once was. I think I can truly say with the Apostle Paul that by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. How different is that to our world's thinking? 
of trying and performing and receiving. But the grace of God, you are who you are. Personalities, your salvation. By the grace of God, you have what you have. And any possessions or anything that's good in your life, any family, any blessing, it's, it's because of the grace of God. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you're superior. It's not because you're anything. But, but God has given you a gift. I'd love to stay with John Newton. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But to be honest, deep inside me is this pride that kicks up and says, oh, I am what I am because I deserve it. I am what I am because I work hard on that person. I have what I have because I've done it myself. Anyone else have those narratives inside them? If I'm honest, I'd love to undo those. I'd love to pick away at those and go, you know what? That's, that's a lie. The grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul says. The grace of God gives us the, the ability to be so completely alive, not based on who we think we are, but based on the, the power and the love of Christ. I tell you, this could change you. It frees us, it excites us, it gives us so much. And, and this Christmas is a really good start. Can I grab the musos up on stage? We're going to finish with some prayer and just a bit of reflection because I've found that as I've been meditating on this the last few months, um, I, I just realize more and more that I don't have it, if I'm honest. As I reflect on this and I, I see like, this is so true, yet I just don't have it. This is, this is so rich, but I wish I had it more. So I want to invite you just to, to stand with me. We're going to stand up because I want to just shift your attention a little bit. And I'm going to spend just a few moments asking God to come and help us to shift from a legalistic, performance-based worldview to a grace-based worldview. Now, it's going to depend on, you know, your background and where you're from and your parenting and, you know, the society that we live in. So there's all kinds of different messages that come through. But if that's not like what Paul is saying, like what John Newton is saying, then it's time to rewrite some things in your world. It's time to recalibrate and reorientate the worldview from which you see things. It's time to not be condemned and guilty and shameful. It's time to rejoice in the goodness of God. It's, it's time to let go of regrets and failures and disappointments and, and embrace the blessing and the favour of God. You see how rich this is? It's time not to, to look back and if the regret and, and wish I should have done that because then I would have been here and if I hadn't have done this and I would have done that and then let's just forget all of that thinking. Let's, let's invite the grace of God to free us and forgive us and bless us. And then we will be able to walk with Him and smile and be a yes person and be full of life, not, not based on missing the mark. Because let's face it, none of us, none of us have ever made the mark, whatever that is. We're all the same. 
but that doesn't matter because by the grace of God, we are who we are, not by our own efforts. And if we can get that in our own theology, I tell you, it's going to change the way you parent. It's going to change the way you relate to people. It's going to change the way you are at work, your community, your neighbours. You're going to be filled with love and joy and blessing and peace because something on the inside has been transformed. You're going to come alive on the inside. You're going to be restored to the fullness of joy that God wants you to have. That's not something that is something we can manufacture. It's something that God only can give. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. I, I rebuke the work of the enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy and take life away. You came to give us life. Resurrected life joined life with you kind of life now and forever and I'm praying that every person would receive your grace this morning every person would receive Lord forgiveness from the past and, and the regrets and the guilt and the shame those are gone and Lord that we would receive grace upon grace that's what you came in John 1 from His fullness, it says, John 1, 16. We've received grace upon grace. From His fullness, we receive grace upon grace. Be filled this morning with the love of Christ. And maybe there's just something that you need to let go of this morning. Before God, maybe there's just things that are in your world that stop you from receiving grace and it usually goes like this I don't deserve it I'm not good enough I haven't done enough something in my past is wrong and faulty it's stopping, it's never going to be right I tell you this morning grace washes away everything even when you were dead even when you had no hope and none of us are there grace came grace shone grace is filled with mercy I want you to forgive yourself I want you to let go of the things that are pulling you down and receive the forgiveness and the grace of God and then start to walk with joy then start to walk with freedom then start to be big hearted and kinder and more generous and more passionate about Jesus than ever you were. Jesus came for the least of these. Jesus came for the one. Jesus came for the ones who just would never make it on their own. Maybe that's you today. Invite him into your heart afresh. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, wash over the past and the things that hold us down and the perceptions we have about ourselves. Transform that, Lord. I'm praying that we will get a picture of us being completely loved. Completely loved. Completely loved. 
grace upon grace.